2: This is Chapter 214 of WCBS Author Talks. I'm Lisa Chernkovich, and coming up, Madeline Martin shares why she's drawn to writing historical fiction set during World War II. Then we ask the writing team known as Allie Brady, which is more difficult, renovating a house or writing a book? The answer might surprise you. You may have noticed that there are a lot of historical fiction books out there that are set during World War II. In fact, I've featured a few on this very podcast. So why do authors keep returning to this point in history? Author Madeline Martin tells me it's because there are so many stories left to tell. She spoke to me about her newest World War II novel, The Librarian Spy. This is not your first novel set during World War II, and I kind of just want to know right off the bat, what drew you back to this point in history?
1: You know, I think that World War II is, um, it's just a really incredible time period in history. I feel like it's when humanity was pretty much at its lowest point, just with uh, horrible, horrible things that were going on. And seeing the people who were able to step up and be brave and, and put so much on the line to save people, sometimes people that they didn't even know, um, it's just such an, incredible, uh, such an incredible thing to me. Um, and so World War II has always really fascinated me um, for that reason, just, um, just the incredible feats that people have done for one another.
2: Why don't you tell us a little bit more about that real-life program from this time period that inspired the story?
1: The IDC, which uh, it's kind of a mouthful, and I can't remember off the top of my head, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, the IDC program was with the, um, the Office of Strategic Services during World War II. And basically, uh, they would take librarians and they would put them into neutral countries during World War II to gather intel, on the enemy. So basically, it could be underground newspapers that were coming from um, Nazi-occupied zones, or it might even be pamphlets on different sort of things that the enemy was using for uh, technology. Um, It could be books, anything along those lines where they possibly could gather some kind of intel to send on to America for them to look through. Um, And the interesting thing about this is a lot of times, Um, You know, unfortunately, the American librarians who were sent over weren't always really well prepared, which kind of was what inspired this idea of what would happen to this librarian who sort of gets sent over to this neutral country where there are all of these consummate spies everywhere, um, and she kind of has no idea what she's doing. (laughs) And so that that was sort of the idea for like the premise for this book. Um, and then on the other side we have, so that's half of the novel and the other half of the novel takes place in Nazi occupied France. Um, and the woman who um, inspired that particular character was a woman who actually existed during World War II. She worked for the French resistance um, in the underground press combat. And she was one of the people who actually operated the printing press itself. And that was a very rare thing for a woman to do or even to even be apprentice into but, of course, with so many men at war and being sent to labor camps, um, you know, she really they they uh, that's how she was able to get in that kind of position.
2: Why did you want to pair the these two women and their stories and, and the different sides of the war that they were on in this way? And we should Ava's your American librarian. Elaine is your French resistance uh, printer. Yes. And I'm j- yeah, I'm just curious when you knew that these stories would run parallel to each other and complement each other in the way that they do.
1: First of all, I was so inspired when I read um, about the woman who inspired Elaine's character. I thought, wow, this woman deserves to be in a book. Like, <laughs> And so that's I, I knew that I eventually wanted to put her into a story and, and it really presented itself when I realized that a lot of times these clandestine newspapers would have hidden messages within them. So it would be coded through um, like misspelled words or it could be hidden inside of an image or it could be, you know, the way that something is worded specifically. Um, and so I, I thought, oh, well, what an incredible way to bring these two women together would be a woman who's looking through a lot of these clandestine newspapers and a woman, the other woman who's making them. Um, and the reason why I really wanted to showcase the difference between France and, Portugal, which was, like I said, neutral, is really to show the dichotomy of what these women, what people there would have gone through. Like, for example, um, in Portugal, they really, they were one of the very few places in the world that didn't have a ration going on. So you could still get coffee and sugar. They still had lights on at night. They didn't have to worry about blackouts. They didn't have to worry about bombings or anything along those lines. Whereas in France, when I was reading through a lot of the first-hand accounts, the overriding theme was hunger. People were so incredibly hungry. And so really showing that comparison between those two countries, um, and then you have also just the danger and the fear. It's not that Lisbon was completely or Portugal was without its danger, but it wasn't as in your face as the Nazi occupation in france especially when faced with or with what the french resistance faced um and you know the french resistance like the underground newspapers those were incredibly important to the french resistance because it was how they countered a lot of the disinformation that the germans were spreading but it was also how they recruited new members and so the germans really wanted to hone in on the french resistance printing presses and and you know completely eradicate them. And so they were always on the lookout for these printing presses. So um, Elaine's job was incredibly dangerous specifically for that, for that reason.
2: I'll admit before I read your book, I had no idea about the role of Lisbon and Portugal had in the war, that it, that it was neutral, that it was this place where it was almost like the war didn't exist in terms of rations and how people acted. But at the same time, It was kind of Europe's waiting room. This is where refugees who had fled the other Western European countries waited for their chance to to leave Europe. And a lot of them were hoping to come to America.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think waiting room is a perfect way to phrase it, too. I mean, so many refugees came into um, Lisbon and, and Portugal, and they just they were stuck there. Um, unfortunately, a lot of the countries stopped wanting to accept any more refugees because everybody was so worried about the, like, quote unquote, fifth agent, which basically would be somebody who would sneak over to, like, say, America pretending to be a refugee. And really, they would be with the uh, enemy trying to gather information. So they were so afraid of that that they ended up um, not allowing so many people to come in. They didn't say they were closing their borders, but they they made the red tape so incredibly thick that it was very difficult. So these refugees were sitting here just biding their time. Some of them with the clothes on their back, that's all they left their home, excuse me, that's all they left their home with. And they were just waiting and waiting for transit visas, exit visas, whatever kind of visas that could be thrown their way. And then once they did have those, they had to see if they could even get um, a boat pass to go on a boat before the visa expired and through it all if you had any visas that ended up expiring you had to deal with the pvde which was the portuguese special police um and you know they were very very scary so and then on top of all of that you know wondering how you were going to eat the next day where you were going to be living with your family and how long you were going to be there on top of all of that you always had the uncertainty of well, Portugal is neutral, but for how long? Because if if the Nazis decided to attack Portugal, then they would attack them and they would be right back in the same place they were before they left home.
2: And you had a great resource in researching this particular part of your story, right?
1: Yes. So when I went to Lisbon and I was doing research there, I booked this incredible tour guide. She was so wonderful and sweet. And her grandmother was 101 years old at the time, and she very vividly remembered all of the refugees coming into Portugal at that time. So she was able to share that with her granddaughter, who in turn shared it with us. And, um, and Raquel was the name of my tour guide. She said that for her, it was also very special because it really opened the door for some conversations for them to have that, that they really hadn't had an opportunity to have otherwise.
2: You mentioned that your character of Elaine is based on a real-life woman, and she's not the only character in your book who are based on real-life people you uncovered during your research, and I know that you feel it's really important to make sure their stories get heard.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, There are other people. I do actually mention them in my... um, in my author's note at the back and I'm putting together a reader's guide right now that will also give some information. Um, But basically, you know, I really try very hard to to mention people who really did exist just because of the fact that um, I feel like their bravery really just needs to be remembered forever. Like we all know these, we all remember Hitler, we all remember uh, Himmler, you know, we all remember these horrible, horrible names. Heroes need to also be remembered as much as well.
2: After reading your book, I mean, it's a great, it, there's a love story, it's a spy story. I love the whole librarian and written word aspect, whether it's trying to use words to to fight evil in the world and those people who are looking to make sure that people know that those words exist. I think I'm phrasing that right. <laughs> but, you know, I can't help but feel that you want us to wake up and realize that everyone has a story that deserves to be heard and remembered despite those people out there who may be trying to suppress it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's so important for people's stories to be able to get out there. Whether um, and, and the thing is, it's not just the really big important people who have these really big important roles. It could be the everyday person, the father who's trying to take care of his kids, or even the kid who's watching their parents suffer. All of these stories need to be like heard. They all need to be told. And I think that's why there are so many World War II books out there and why so many more books are coming out because there are so many voices that haven't been heard that need to be.
2: Does that mean your next book might bring us back to this time period?
1: It does. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I actually just got back from Poland a couple of weeks ago where I was doing research for my next book, which is going to be set in Warsaw, Poland. Um, And it's called The Keeper of Hidden Books. And a total shameless plug um, for it is it is currently on Goodreads. It doesn't have a cover and it doesn't have a blurb, but I do make little notes on there from time to time, kind of updating people where I am going with the book.
2: Oh, I know where I'm going next. (laughs) (laughs) We've been talking to Madeline Martin. The new book that you can get with a cover is The Librarian Spy. Thank you so much for your time
3: today.
1: Oh, Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. It was so much fun.
2: Marilyn Monroe once said that sisters make the best friends in the world. And as someone who has one, I'd have to agree. But we're not here to talk about me. In The Beach Trap, we meet two best friends, Blake and Kat, who are torn apart by a life-changing secret only to find themselves thrown together for one summer where they can either learn to forgive or walk away and forget. The book is the debut from Allie Brady, the pen name of friends Allison Hammer and Brady Godfrey. Brady? is the one who kicked off our interview
0: all right the beach trap is sort of a twist on the parent trap where two girls go to summer camp and then find out that they are sisters in this case they're half sisters and they share a father and that reveal does not go well they became best friends at camp and then at the end of the camp when they find out that they share a father um, it sort of shatters their relationship and there's a lot of hurt feelings on both sides and they don't see each other for 15 years until their father passes away and he leaves them a rundown old beach house. Allison, do you want to take the rest? Sure.
3: So they haven't seen each other in 15 years and the reunion does not go well. Um, both sisters have um, have different goals. One of them wants to sell the house because she needs the money. The other one wants to keep the house because she grew up there you know, and has a lot of great memories. So instantly they're at odds, but they decide to um, pair up and over the summer renovate their house and their relationship. Um, both sisters have a love interest and there's a cute dog. So it's beachy summer vibes, family friendship, um, kind of a little bit of everything. A
2: dog who doesn't even belong to either one of them.
3: (laughs) I know, right?
2: (laughs) So who was the big Parent Trap fan, either of the original or the Lindsay Lohan remake? And who's the big HGTV fan? Because there's a little bit of both of that in this story. Both of us really love the Parent Trap. Yeah. And HGTV, who has that on in the
0: background all the time? Either one of you? It's not Um... really either of us. Yeah, it's (laughs) not really either of us who... um who really watch it, I don't think. Um, but I moved into a house that needed a lot of work a few years ago, and so a lot of the projects that happen in the book, I've done um, with my husband. I am not as handy as Blake is, or Henry is, the, the handyman who helps them, but I have done a lot of them. <laughs>
2: So Blake is one sister. Kat is the other. And I really liked each of them for different reasons. And the relationship between the two of them, like they're sisters as soon as they meet. And it's because they actually are half sisters. I kind of get the sense that maybe are you two kind of like sisters and have some of that same relationship that's kind of worked its way into this book?
3: We both have sisters. So that's that's something. And and it's interesting because we're working on our next book now, which is Sisters Who Live Together and Work Together. And so they are like sisters in the true sense of the form. And this book, because they're half sisters, it's really like they're they were best friends at camp and they have to learn how to become sisters. So we are both very fortunate and have a great group of girlfriends. And you know, we've become such close friends over the years of writing together and things like that. So we're both very lucky to be surrounded by by strong women and sisterhood vibes.
2: So for people who don't know, tell me uh how you guys started writing together.
3: Sure. Do you want to tell Allison? Um sure, I'll start it because um I actually started the the way that that um, we met is I did a little light stalking um of <laughs> Brady. Um <laughs> we're both members of a writing organization called the Women's Fiction Writers Association. And they do different you know, pitch contests and things like that where you can see each other's writing. And I saw a sample of like only like 250 words of Brady's writing. And I was like, she's really good. I want to be her friend. Um, and a few months later, there was an opportunity for us to swap pages. And we instantly hit it off. And we loved each other's writing and each other's critique styles. And I actually remember the day she called me her critique partner, which is kind of like going steady for writers where we are like, exclusive partners, um, helping each other with their, with their books. So that was the first stage in our, our writing relationship. Brady, do you want to tell how we took it to the next level?
0: (laughs) Sure. So it was the spring of 2020 when we were all, you know, locked down and I was at home homeschooling my kids. Allison was working from home and we were just chatting about book ideas as we do. We chat, you know, all day long. And, um, and so she threw out a book idea And said, What do you think about this idea? Do you think it's crazy? Do you think it's silly? And I said, No, I really love it. And I also think it goes really well with the book idea that I have. And so I said, Why don't we just put them together and write a book together? And it really happened that fast, maybe because we were, you know, locked down, and there wasn't anything else to do. But it just seemed completely natural to just start writing a book together.
2: (laughs) Now, did you guys alternate chapters? Is that how you guys ended up doing the the
3: writing process itself? We each take a character and like that's our character who we create. Um, But, you know, in the writing world, people are either plotters where they plot everything out or pantsers where they fly by the seat of their pants. And when you're writing together, you really have to plot it out. So we spend a lot of time building the characters, what their wounds are, what their arcs are and their journeys. And we plot out every single chapter. Um, So that's kind of a little bit about the planning. Brady, do you want to talk about our, our schedule?
0: Sure. So we, as Allison said, we each take control of writing one character. So each, typically each week we each write one chapter from our character and then um, we swap it. And then we critique the other person's chapter and edit it and weigh in on everything because you know, even if one of us takes the takes charge of drafting um, one character, there's a lot of revision going back and forth, and the other person saying, "Hey, this doesn't ring true to me," or maybe we could say it like this, or maybe this character would, you know, say use this dialogue instead of that dialogue. So lots and lots of back and forth between the two of us. We um, one of
3: the things that's been really fun for me is that, um, and I think for both of us, is people who know one of us or both of us when they try to guess who who wrote who. And we are a little vague about it. If people want to know, they can send us a direct message. But it's really fun because people see parts of both of us in each of the characters. And it is because we've both had our hands like, you know, really in the pages. And it really is a co-written effort. It's so funny because that was going to be my next question. It's like, OK,
2: who wrote who?
3: <laughs> but don't worry, you don't
2: have to say it. I'm going to ask you off the air when I'm not recording anymore. and You can
3: let me know. We're going to let readers discover that on their own.
2: So The story is is really fun. It's about family and it's about found family and the family you're born into. And, you know, you've also managed to capture how difficult it is to admit that you've been wrong and to think that you can't make things right because too much time has gone by. And just from knowing how where the story ends up, I'm going to guess that both of you kind of feel it's never too late to make things
0: right. Yeah. And that's one of the main um, themes that we had to work on as we were writing this story is talking about how how this sort of forgiveness happens between these two sisters. They Neither of them really understands where the other one came from. So they have to learn about each other. And there's a as we said, there's a lot of hurt feelings that they have toward each other and a lot of sort of miscommunication that happens, which is pretty realistic. I think it can be frustrating as a reader to think, come on, just talk to each other. But it's difficult to let down your walls and talk to someone. And that was another thing we, we really discussed is how does each character see the other one at the beginning of the book? And how does that shift throughout the book as they learn more about the other character?
2: The book opens at summer camp. Do you guys have fond summer camp memories?
3: We do. We both had um various summer camp experiences. I went to um Camp Birchwood in Minnesota. Um and um Brady, you you did a different camp. You were
0: I did. I went to Brighton Camp in um, the mountains of Utah and it was really really fun. Those both there's sound some... like awesome summer camp experiences.
3: Yeah, and there's something, you know, in in, in the opening lines which um we I think I outlined the the prologue and Brady drafted it, but the very first line, like, you know, she really captured that there is something special and magical about summer camp. You know, you're in your own little world, you're away from your parents, and friendships form there so tight, so fast. And, you know, it really is a special place that we wanted to capture, and um, and hopefully we we did a good job of that.
2: I'm for one. I've I've never gone away to summer camp. I never did that as a kid. We had a pool in the backyard, and that was our summer camp. But every time I read a story like this, it's like, man,
3: I really missed out. <laughs> they do have adult camps. Just saying. Oh, I'm gonna have to look into that. Although, <laughs> well, well, we'll see.
2: Brady, you mentioned that you you had renovated a house. So, having renovated a house or being in a house with a lot of that needed a lot of renovation and writing a book, which one is easier?
0: Oh, goodness. You know, I'm not very handy. So um, I mostly relied on my husband. I was the assistant. I held things. I handed in things. And I am pretty good at painting. So I did a lot of that. Um, writing a book actually does feel a lot like when you're working on a house because you start out with like the bare bones of the house and then you have to add in all these layers. So you're adding in, you know, paint and then trim. And it sort of does feel like that with a book because it you do so many different revisions and you're working on this one space for such a long time. And then by the end, you've kind of made this magical magical world in the story, um, but it does not come that way at first. And we constantly have to remind ourselves that, that the first draft just needs to exist. It doesn't need to be perfect. It doesn't need to be great. So let's just get it down on paper. And we will continue to build it and polish it and make it look really beautiful by the end.
3: But you were able to use your kitchen while writing a book. (laughs) Yes,
0: (laughs) that's
2: true. I'm guessing, is this where you guys are in the process for your next book? You're at the get the first draft down and we'll finish and polish it or no?
3: We are polishing. We yeah. are, um, we, it is very close to the end. We are um, in the first chapter of our next book is actually in the back of the beach trap, but it has been edited and revised several times since then. So <laughs> the content is the same, but hopefully it's better. Um, but we, it's, um, I think due in like two weeks. So we are in our final read-through trying to make it as good as it can because before um, our editor gets her hands on it.
2: And I'm sure you've heard this is like the perfect Beach read, summer read. It's set on a beach. It features a beach house and it's just it's so much fun to read. Thank you. So We've been talking with Allie Brady, who are made up of two people. That's Alison Hammer and, and Brady Godfrey. Thank you so much for your time today and talking to us about it. Thank
0: you. Thanks so much for having us.
2: That's where we close the book on this chapter. Next time, we're all invited to a lavish Sri Lankan wedding. But just a word of caution, not everyone gets to survive. Until then, make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS880books. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast if you're a fan. Just say, I'm Lisa Cherkovich.